Welcome to the teaching podcast for 2020. Uh, we started out the year in the book of Isaiah. I get confused. Isaiah or Isaiah? Well, I'm surprised you're not saying Isaiah. <laughs> I'll try and say Isaiah. And Isaiah is a fairly complex book, it seems to me. It's a bit of a challenge to work our way through it. So was there a particular reason or prompting that you had for teaching through the book of Isaiah? Well, y- yes, in a way there was. I mean, I guess for me, I'm, I'm trying to look big picture in terms of where we're going at shore and also what we're preaching through over the years. So our general uh, approach is to take a book of the Bible every year and study it. And I've uh, I've never preached through one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Well, we did Daniel. We did do Daniel one year. But I, I thought, think of that as like half prophecy and then half narrative. So I'd never taken just one of the pure prophetic books in the Bible. Uh, and so I thought uh, we did... You know, we did Ephesians earlier this year. That was a good New Testament letter. So I thought, let's do something completely different. And Isaiah is a book that I've been keen to work through. It's It's been quite an intimidating sort of book to approach and to preach through because it's so huge and so vast. And I'm probably one of those people that know has known little bits and pieces of Isaiah mm. um, and familiar with some of the, the parts of it that uh, that many of us are more familiar with. But it was a big, big challenge for me approaching this book. But uh, I thought, you know, it's an important book in Scripture. It's one of the key books of prophecy that we have. And it's a book that so strongly points to Jesus that I thought it would be a good uh, one for us to tackle this year. Well, I love how you're able to kind of lead us back to the message of grace and to the gospel each week out of each message. Because you don't really think about that within the book of Isaiah unless Mm. it's Christmas time or Mm. something. Um, But the words of Isaiah are often quite harsh, it seems, towards the nation of Israel. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of grace coming through in in his words in the book of Isaiah. But can you give us a brief context for why the message of Isaiah is so harsh? And then where does grace come into it? Yeah, I guess that's uh, in some ways surprised me as well because I, I think that most of us that know some of the some of the more familiar passages in Isaiah we focus on the grace parts so we, we focus on the parts mm. that are about Jesus yeah. and these parts that are full of hope and, and so on but as you start to get stuck into the book you realize there's a lot of really sobering heavy stuff in there as well uh, and in its original context uh, the, the, the reason for that is that Isaiah is writing to these people uh, in the nation of Judah, which was just that southern part of Israel. And uh, they, ha- they were in a situation where for, for years, for generations, they had abandoned God. They'd become more and more unfaithful to God. They'd turned to the gods of the nations around them. And they'd had successive kings that had not walked in the ways of God, but had walked in the ways of all of these other nations, with a few exceptions. But, you know, even at the time that uh, Isaiah is, is ministering, you've got a king like Ahaz, who was engaging in all the detestable practices of the nations around him, and uh, running off for help from other big nations rather than running towards God. So it's that context where God is, is wanting to draw his people back to him, but he's also needing to give them a very serious word of judgment, that if they carry on as they are, they are going to incur even more serious judgment and consequences and punishment. And really the punishment that God's looking towards as he talks to Judah and Isaiah is the punishment of exile. That if they continue to go down the path they're going, uh, then God will hand them over to enemy nations. But I think the reason it speaks to us today is because that, that message of judgment is part of the Christian message. It's part of the Christian gospel. 
and that's I think that's that's unavoidable and maybe we don't like talking about it yeah. so much but um, I think there's something for us to reflect on that the, the reality is God is a holy God mm. that our sin is not something that can ever stand in the presence of God and that in and of ourselves we do stand under the judgment of God um, and I think anything less than that God ceases to be God or, or we deal with our sin less seriously and so I know we all want to get to grace and we want to talk about hope, but to me, that doesn't make any sense uh, before you've established that judgment is real. Right. And uh, every single person, Christian, non-Christian, uh, whoever we are, we have the sinful nature and we stand in that place of condemnation, that the wrath of God is a very is a very real thing. So I don't say that to, to use any scare tactics, mm. but that's just, the, that's just the message that comes through loud and clear, not just from Isaiah, but many passages uh, in the Bible. So... Uh, Interested in your thoughts on that, guys, but you know, reflecting on the judgment of God is not something that's that's fun to do, but it's necessary, right? And I think for me, one of the things I found really useful as you open up the book of Isaiah was you talked about those two strands that go through the mm. book of Isaiah. That whole concept of judgment, and but there's also that strand of hope. And as I've been listening to the messages over these last few weeks, both of those are really, really clearly there. And... Um, as we were reminded that this was a time in the history of Israel that things were not going well. They mm. had turned their back upon God. As you mentioned, they had a whole lot of evil kings. Mm. And the reality was that even though the hope strand had been presented to them, they had, in effect, ignored it. Mm. And so therefore God was saying, well, because you've ignored me and what I want you to be doing, then judgment is inevitable. So. It wasn't as though his first step was to judge them, mm. but actually judgment was a last resort because they had continued for many, many years to ignore God, do their own thing, mm. and so the hope that was presented to them, basically they ignored, so mm. therefore judgment came. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, even though that message of judgment is something that maybe in modern culture is, is not palatable, when we think about it, in one sense, we all do want some kind of judgment like if, if we if we look at corruption in the world or we look at evil in the world or we look at abuse we want that to be judged we we want we desire a world where there is no evil where there's no abuse and there's no bullying and there's no corruption uh, but to 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 get there requires the judging of everything that has taken hold of god's world that is not good and that is evil. Uh, and so I think at a deeply, even though we, we don't want to face judgment ourselves, we do long for a world that's that's not what this world is. And that requires God's judgment. And I think we long for a, uh, a world that's just. Mm. But we struggle to identify that because we live in a time and day when people want to base that judgment on what they think is yes. right and wrong yes. to them to themselves yes. rather than looking at God's holiness yeah. and that's a real distinction there and I think that's the challenge that, that Isaiah was bringing mm. to the nation of Israel because Michael you're right I think the nation of Israel got actually a lot of grace by God he gave them chance after chance after chance yeah. and then he brings down the, the, the real judgment mm. Mm. we don't like to look at the idea of justice through the lens of God's holiness mm. we prefer to look through the lens of what we think is right and wrong or the things that annoy us or yeah. you know but not through the lens of God's holiness. Mm. So that's a real distinction, mm. I think. Yeah, totally. And and that's that's it. We have this kind of subjective standard of judgment where we 
which is really much a much lower bar than God's because it's just judging based on what I think or what you th- or out my character or your character. And you don't judge yourself; you judge others. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm going to I'm going to apply it to you, not to me. We become hypocrites, but uh, yeah, I think Isaiah lifts us up to see that the standard of judgment is is the character of God, is the holiness of God, and then of course where that leaves us all is under the judgment of God. And where really where it leaves us all is. We, there's no real distinction between any of us. We're all sinful people. You know, it's like uh, Paul says in Romans, all have turned aside. There is no one righteous, not even one. We've all turned aside. We've all become useless. We all stand under the judgment of God, which is an important part of the of the Christian gospel. Uh, but but I, I think what Isaiah really helps the people see, you know, we think about the prophets often as thinking about the future, and Isaiah does that. But a lot of what he's saying is, remember what God has already told you. You know, God had already warned the people of his judgment, you know, all the way back in Leviticus. He told them, you know, I'm going to yeah. bring you into this land, and if you obey me, here's what's going to happen. It'll go well for you. And if you disobey me, here's what's going to happen. And you can read in passages like Leviticus 26, you know, this is exactly what God said would happen. So a lot of what Isaiah is doing is just reminding the people of this covenant God's made with them, and the blessings of obedience, but the the penalties for uh, for disobedience. So is it right to look at the nation of Israel? I've, I guess I've always looked at the nation of Israel as somewhat of a metaphor for our lives just the up and down nature of the nation yeah. and when they followed god at one time and then they ran scared from god in another is it appropriate to do that or what yeah, do, you, yeah, what I do think, you guys think yeah I, I think to a point to a point you can sort of see i mean you can definitely see yourself in in israel's shoes in a sense you know like we're all just like israel we're all unfaithful and, and then we come crying back to god and yeah. repent of our sins and god yeah, takes us yeah. back and and then we just go back to our rebellious ways again. And you can see, like in the cycle of judges, you know, you just see yourself in that cycle very, very easily. Um, where I think we've got to be careful is just taking those promises that if you obey me, things will go well for you. And if you disobey me, things will go poorly for you, which were promises specifically made to Israel. We've just got to be careful we don't think, well, as long as I'm right. obeying God, things will go well for me. Um, because that's not always the case either. I mean, you get someone like Job, who was a righteous man, but he suffered terribly. So uh, it's not that obedience is necessarily always going to bring God's blessing. I think ultimately where you get to is that none of us have obeyed God in the way that we have needed to obey him. And, and therefore, we stand under his judgment. And I guess I would see the fact that obedience ultimately will bring us blessing, but it might not be in the short term and it might not necessarily be in this world. Like, you know, ultimately we're still looking forward to being in the presence of God and it is that blessing that is always out there, and um, and I think that's the hope that is presented to um, to us as Christians. That yeah. at times I will go through difficulties and trials and tribulations, much like Israel did, but I do have that that hope that one day I will be in the presence of Jesus, and that these uh, things that I'm suffering at the moment, either because of some of the sin that is in my life, or simply because of the evil that we see within our society. They're only momentary compared to ultimately being in the presence of God. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, in week four, you discussed uh, in the sermon called uh, "Sour Grapes." You discussed the idea of justice, and you came in quite strong with that idea. You challenged people to get out in the community. Getting into the community was the topic that you know is close to my heart as community pastor. Yep. Something that I really want us to focus on as a church is how can we practically get into the lives of people around us and. And uh, the Bible talks about us co-partnering with God, and that's the concept that I, I like to bring into the community. Um, community mm. work is yep. God is at work around us, and we're partnering with Him. He invites us to be a part of that. So 
And you stated this, you said, are we listening to the cry of the oppressed around us? And that really struck me, that phrase there. Um, and you asked who was lost, who was last, and who was least. But you also pointed out it's not just the homeless and the, those in poverty that need justice. Mm. That there's a lot of hurts and pains and there's a lot of things uh, in our society around us. So how can we then come alongside um, people that we know, people that are in our lives? Mm. And what does that look like? What does justice look like in that way? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think maybe it's helpful to have just a, a quick um, understanding of biblical justice itself. Because when the Bible uses that word justice, which is the word mishpat, it means something a bit different from how we think of it in our Western culture. Because we've, we're usually very focused on people who have committed crimes, paying for those crimes. And we, and we call that justice. You know, we want to see justice done right, right. when someone's done something wrong. But when the Bible uses justice, it's much more done with a view towards those who are disadvantaged or those who are powerless or those who are neglected. And justice is really about using our, our power or using our resources or using whatever means we have available to us to lift up those who are struggling in some way so that we're acting in a way that's promoting equality and fairness for all people, which means those who are on the disadvantaged end of the scale need to be lifted up so that they have the same opportunities and, and the same uh, access to things as, as others. And so biblical justice has always got an eye on the oppressed. There's always that idea of lifting up those who are downtrodden, which is it's different to the kind of standard Western kind of criminal associations of justice. So, yeah, I mean, what I, what I really wanted to try and do is make that practical because you can have these big words, justice and righteousness, and they're just big concepts and we can all buy into them. But uh, to try and flesh that out, think about what what does it mean for you to look around you and, and hear the cry of the oppressed or to hear the cry of the disadvantaged? Uh, who are the people around you who are lonely or who are being forgotten by others or who are being discriminated against in, in some way or just having a really difficult time of it who, who, are, who tend to be uh, neglected by other people and that could be a range of different people in a range of different categories from disabled to the mentally ill to the uh, solo mums and dads to uh, vulnerable children and so on and so forth but I think it's just for each of us to think well who's who's in my world uh, who's who's on my street and how can I bring this big concept of justice right down to a very practical, very tangible level, which might be very ordinary, everyday acts of, of love and and good deeds, goodwill towards those who are struggling. And that, I think, is what Isaiah was calling people to, because he just wasn't, God wasn't seeing it within the nation. of He was seeing the opposite, really. And I think it particularly angered God, because as he looked at Israel, he knew that they were a nation that had once needed um, to be lifted up and God responded to their cry of oppression but now they turn around and were neglecting people in their own midst in their own community who needed that who needed that help so that's I think where there's some pretty harsh language in that passage but I think that's where it comes from and uh, yeah the challenge for us is, is to look around and say well who's in my world and, and how can I make it make it practical and it's been encouraging even since that message to hear of various people that are putting this into action you know, I talked about uh, people that are uh, supplying some, some bread, the students up at the university. Uh, got an email today from a woman in the church who's keen to encourage and be part of maybe brainstorming some other things in the community that could happen for people that are keen, that have got some interest in this. Um, we're running CAP Life Skills. You know, we've got these different things that are going on. 
but I think it's it's for each of us to try and figure out well, where do I fit into this what's one step I could take uh, and that might be in a formal program or ministry area but it might just be an informal step of conversation or there might be someone that I know who I could just move towards a little bit more have a bit more to do with uh, try and encourage them a little bit just be present with them just show up and uh, that's that, that that could be what justice looks like for you and Michael, you've been involved with some of the big ministries of justice over in Asia. And I think there's opportunities uh, wherever we go to be looking at the other person and seeing where the other person is at. And that could be overseas. And uh, as you said, we've had the opportunities to go and, and partner with people overseas and to see what uh, they're involved in and what some of their needs are and whether that be some of the things that we would consider to be uh, basic requirements in New Zealand like water, food, uh, you know, things like orphans um, yeah. are big issues, the widows are big issues, and, and so yeah, overseas there are opportunities to provide uh, support and help for those sorts of people. But in New Zealand it's the same sorts of things that, that are going on. You know, I, I think in New Zealand at the moment where uh, you know, water is a big issue for some people, mm. and, and I know in our community where I live a number of people in the community have been there and they've been opening their houses up and allowing people to come and have a shower because they've run out of water mm, or right, providing right. them with um, you know, containers with fresh water in them because they literally run out of water. So mm. I think there's lots mm. of things that we can be doing that actually aren't too difficult mm. in many ways, but we need to be, and this is what was um, being encouraged in this uh, chapter from Isaiah, was we need to open our eyes. We need to look with God's eyes mm. and see what is happening in our society and see where the needs are and simply do the things that, that God enables us to do. It doesn't need to be big things, it doesn't need to cost us a lot of money, um, but it does need to incorporate us looking out and seeing where the need is within our community. Mm. And often, unfortunately, in New Zealand society, the temptation is to say, well, you know, the government will take care of that or someone else will take care of that, whereas in reality, I probably need to be looking in terms of how I can come alongside people and support people and help people. So we need to be looking at those sorts of opportunities. Oh, that's good. Well, let's wrap up this uh, podcast. Speaking of the previous sermon this past week, week five on chapter six of Isaiah. And uh, really what I wanted to talk about yeah, are the uh, slugs and the cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Most important part of the message. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you spoke about holiness and you defined holiness as other. And I've never heard it defined as other before. Um, do you have anything further to add to that? What <laughs> You don't know whether I can add anything more yeah, to, yeah. to that. It's, it's a, it was definitely a, a challenging message to try and describe something that is ultimately indescribable, mm. uh, which I suppose is the point. You, know, you kind of get to the end of your vocabulary and you think, well, that's probably the way it's supposed to be because I can't possibly describe, describe God. But uh, that word other... I guess it just communicates that reality that God is outside and above and beyond uh, anything that, that we could ever comprehend or imagine. Uh, because I, we, we, we tend to gravitate towards thinking that God is just simply greater than we are, which is mm. true, but he's not just greater in terms of just above us, you know, or even just above the angels, as if right. we could just keep going up a few rungs and, and eventually we'd get to God. Uh, the, the God who's revealed to us in Scripture is completely outside of any types of categories, uh, any types of descriptions that we could create. And I think the interesting thing to me 
that that creates. And I had this discussion by text with someone after Sunday. They're saying it kind of leaves you in this place of appreciating the mystery of God because you just can't describe it. And you have to actually be okay with that to be able to say God is beyond description and there's a real mystery to his being that uh, I, I actually don't want to try and solve the mystery in a sense because then I, you know, I'd, be, I'd be trying to bring God down to my level. So I think as Christians we need to be content with a certain amount of, of mystery when it comes to the being of God that he is just so totally transcendent and beyond us. But um, I think that that is just one simple word that I've found which helps me think about the idea of God's holiness as his otherness. Uh, and, and then you, you could follow on from that and say, that then to me gives you all the more appreciation for who Jesus is because Jesus is God. He shares in that nature of God. Jesus is also part of the otherness of God. But Jesus has come into our world. So even though there's this infinite gap between the creator and the creation Jesus has crossed over into that gap and he's become part of part of our humanity so it kind of enlarges my picture of who Jesus is and, and what he's accomplished if if God is that holy and that transcendent and we are this sinful and broken and fallen here um, and Jesus went from there to here um, to rescue us and lift us up that's a pretty incredible thing Sometimes I think, you know, we just don't think it was that big a gap that Jesus really crossed right. you know, from heaven right. to earth. But when you picture the holiness of God, it's like, that. that's, that's incredible. Deal, that yeah. Jesus, if, if he shared that nature with God, but he came and then took on our nature um, and somehow held those two natures together within his own being, that's an extraordinary thing. So, yeah, for me, I think that message and that passage is about trying to use some words and paint some pictures for something that ultimately is really beyond our comprehension. But that's, that's part of the beauty um, and majesty of who God is. Well, I think I understood what you were saying by the slugs and the cockroaches. So I didn't take offense by that, but uh, Michael, any any further thoughts on that? Yeah, and, and I'm much like you, Randall. That I didn't like the the idea of the cockroaches and the slugs per se, but I think it did. Illustrate, I don't think he was calling us. Cockroaches, I, I do but. think it did clearly <laughs> illustrate the fact that, uh, <laughs> that there is just that that complete vast difference between us and God, and it's difficult. You know, we talk about things like majesty and greatness and holiness and those sorts of things and they're great words to use but I don't think I really understand exactly the fullness of what those mean and, and I think to use the otherness word is actually a really good one because it means that whatever we might try to use to say what we're like and compare that to God that the words actually just don't do it yeah. uh, it's really really difficult to try and understand and describe what God is really like I I love that quote that you used in the sermon, Reuben, from C.S. Lewis from um, mm. from Narnia, and talking about you know what it's going to be like to come and Susan wanting to know what it's going to be like mm. to come in the presence of Aslan, who obviously is the the illustration of God in those books. You know, just the fact that you know the fact that how does it say it exactly? It's the it, fact uh, Susan asks Mr. Beaver about Aslan and says, uh, is he safe? Yes. Yeah. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Yeah. Of course he's not safe. Yeah. But he is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really just talks about what God is like. Mm. Is he safe? Mm. Not in the sense that, no, he's not. He's, he's unpredictable in the mm. sense we don't exactly know how he's going to act. We don't exactly know... Uh, why he does what he does but is he good 100 percent he is good how do we know he's good we can look to jesus christ and see the fact that jesus christ was sent by this god to earth to die for each one of us that's a good god and i guess with all of that that that's what i know that i don't understand god but do i know he's good i sure do because he saved me
Yeah. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's good, Michael. Well, that wraps us up for this session. We're going to try and do this uh, once a month, I think we agreed to. Yeah, about that, yep. yeah. With the complexity of the book of Isaiah. So, uh, appreciate you guys, and thank you for this, and we'll talk to you next month. Good one. Thanks, Randall. Thanks.